We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. Oh, thanks for listening to Layman's Lounge. Today we got Zachary we Garris. You can find him on Twitter. Zachary Garris, G-A-R-R-I-S. And he's also got knowingscripture.com. There's some resources over there. He's the author of Masculine Christianity. Um, the book is no, it's no mere opinion piece. It's 300 plus pages of no stone unturned exegetical work. How many friends did you lose after the book went live, bro? I mean, not, not too many. I probably, probably had already lost them from prior interactions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that guy, Garris is such a, a, what are the word like a chauvinist? Like what are the, like the main words those guys would get? Oh like, uh, yeah. I mean, bigot, chauvinist, sexist. You're so bad. You're so bad to read the Bible. Just all you, <laughs> sometimes I've legit quoted just Bible verses and they're and to folks and they don't even know that they wouldn't know that's in the Bible fellow Christians. And they're calling me big. I'm like, that's literally the words of the living God. So I'd assume the title masculine christianity which is tell the book is a um is a microaggression to not only the woke masses but unfortunately a bunch of the rank and file in a bunch of folks in the church and even like the reformed church um i think these days masculine like peanut butter and jelly is always so i think masculine the first thing people think toxic toxic masculinity that's the first thing that folks think so it's like you can't even like say that without being guilty by default. Folks immediately pair it with toxic. Like I said, why? I mean, I, I'm this. We'll like we'll do history and exege exegetical work, but at the highest level, why is there such a visceral firestorm against this? Uh, uh, especially among the saints. Yeah, in the so in the church, why is their reaction to like basically patriarchy, male yeah. rule? I Me? just think, yeah, I think it's just years of um, feminist conditioning. I, I don't really know how else to explain it. Um, yeah. I mean, this stuff's not brand new. You had, you know, I try to argue in the book, the first chapter there with the, the history of feminism. You know, th these things were going on in the 1800s, but um, they were minority views at the time. They were trying to overturn the traditional practice of the church and just Western culture. So, yeah, I think this stuff just came in um and and eventually became dominant unfortunately uh where feminism is kind of the assumed position today yeah 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 I and, and, and in the church yeah so even so i call that some of that stuff folk christianity which i didn't like my grandma taught my dad and then my dad taught me and i looking back sometimes i'm like wait why in the world did i believe that like there was one belief you can't get tattoos this is really bad i'm about to say a black person can't marry a white person. This is this was like real in my family. You can't get tattoos. If you're drunk when Jesus comes back, you go to hell. Those are like the like the three folk Christianity things that I had. And I realized, I asked my dad, I'm like, why did you teach me that? He's like, well, that's what that's what my mom taught me. I was like, what? So no doubt feminism is is baked into you know those who went before us. Um, I want to get into the three waves, but first at the highest level, what is the book, the book itself? How does it read and how does it unfold? Like summarize it. Yeah. And like, what, what do you, is it, do you go like, 
do you get the eight main passages about submission and father rule or do you do you do some history as well do you offer cultural yeah. uh no i mean the book starts by kind of setting the scene today so the modern context which you know gives the history of feminism and um basically then uh argues that we've uh abandoned the traditional view and practice of the church so i even criticize complementarianism which mm -hmm. arose in the uh 1980s and so yeah so i even criticized that i mean i have a chapter complementarianism's compromise and then then i really just make a case from scripture for male rule um in the home but also the church and society at large uh you could say the commonwealth the, the mm -hmm. go civil government which that you know that one's even more com controversial um uh, but uh yeah so i i try to get into genesis one and two and three and and then um i spent two chapters on that and then get into some of the main passages um well old other old testament passages kind of a, a overview and then first timothy two uh first corinthians 14 and um you have a whole chapter on uh civil government so which is a little it, it, there are some passages that speak to it but it's a little uh broader theologically uh trying to apply things so so yeah so um basically the book is you know it, it attempts to be a comprehensive view of uh theology of men and women from from scripture i but i at first, I listened to it before I read it on the Canon app, Canon Plus app, and I was like, whoa, this is not a book you could really listen to. I mean, you could listen to it, but um, you do some serious um, exegetical work, and I realized, man, there's actually not a whole lot of that out there. There's some blog posts here and there, but there's not a, like, that was a full-on deep dive, and um, so anyways, good, good, good job on that, but before we get into text and whatnot, can you give us, and feel free to speak at length at this, but can you give us an overview of, if you will, Crash Course on the History of Feminism? If we're going to say there's three waves, if you will, can we start with the first wave? Yeah, so most people, when they discuss feminism, they're going to go right to uh, the second wave, which is 1960s and 70s. Um, Gloria Steinem and, and some of those ladies. Um but uh, I mean that that stuff's more obvious, uh, where second wave feminism was arguing, you know, that women should be like men and and out in the workplace, uh, basically leave the home and not not be a, a housewife and not be not not uh, not care for children in the home and that kind of thing. So that I mean that's obviously very like in your face today because we see the results of that where you know people aren't having as many kids and and women are. Uh, you know, seeking careers at, at a very high rate. And it's like almost offensive, I guess, if you think women should, you know, be housewives. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that second wave feminism. But I, I in the book, I, I try to go further back into the 1800s, mid 1800s and show that you can't uh, just look at the 1960s and 70s in a vacuum and that those things built on earlier um changes social changes 
And obviously you have the, the 19th Amendment right to vote, uh, 1920. But there's a whole backstory to how that came about because there was the, the political fight for women's suffrage in the 1800s. And so, you know, I get into that. I, I, um, I explain kind of the beginnings of that and, and give some quotes from Elizabeth uh, Cady Stanton and um, Susan B. Anthony. Those were two of the main leaders. There were other leaders. Um, but right now, hey, right now, you're messing with the people on our quarter. Like if if no one if I'm a good reformed post young restless reformed person listening to this podcast, I'm a little bit already pissed off at you because you're going at my girl, Susan B. Anthony. Um, can you, can you give us more like, and, and you're talking about voting it, it sounds audacious that, that you would say that a woman shouldn't vote. Like that is so unpalatable. You might as well say like, let's throw the children to alligators. Can you, can you explain like in as much detail as you want? I mean, we'll might, it might be jumping ahead, but what is what's so bad about a woman voting or or what what's behind that and what's what is that a root rebellion against male headship what's going on there yeah well i mean this is uh you know it's one of these topics you're not supposed to talk about um but you <laughs> the, the problem is historically you and and that's mostly what i'm doing is looking at it historically i'm not really arguing one way or another whether we should have women voting today i mean it's 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 kind of a moot point because it's not really something we can change so um, at least not, not in our current context. Um, but the, uh, I mean, you know, early America, it wasn't even just that they didn't allow women to vote. It was, you know, um, very restrictive, uh, restricted voting. A lot of places, I mean, depend on the area and the, the state and whatnot, but you had to be a, a landowner. And, um, so, yeah, I mean, so voting was tied with privileges, um, and, uh, duties, and, you know, so I get into that some in there in the book. Um, but, yeah, so there's I mean, there's this push. It's not just for women to vote, but it was this push for universal suffrage for everybody to be, be able to vote. And I mean, it's definitely a, a more democratic move. Um, and, you know, we had a lot we had other democratic elements added later where, where I would say, you know, early America was more re Republican as far as the um, structure of government. I mean, it, you could call it a democracy. Many of the uh, people back then did, but it wasn't a direct democracy. I mean, you're, you limited voting and then you're voting for uh, limited who can vote and then they're voting for representatives. And then, you know, you would have the legislatures and the like. But what, but why so, is this a part of the conversation? Like what, I mean, I'm, I think you're getting there, but I'm still, people are probably still like, wait, but what, like, what's so bad yeah. about a woman voting? Well, well, let me, let me mention uh, a couple of things here because the, the whole universal suffrage thing, part of the reason that's important and not just women voting, but universal suffrage is it is like this egalitarian impulse. And so I, I use that word egalitarianism there broadly, not just to refer to feminism, although sometimes they're, you know, uh, used interchangeably. Um, but it's this idea that men, men and women, everybody were the same. It, you know, it's this flattening of classes and everything. And so everybody should have the right to vote. Mm -hmm. Of course, mm -hmm. when you have that, though, it introduces all sorts of problems. You have class warfare and groups voting against each other and basically trying to get stuff from the government. And of course, we have that, you know, today. Um, 
And so I, I, I think there's serious problems with universal suffrage in general. So I just preface it to explain, you, you know, you have to give some thought to that. Um, but specifically when you come to women voting, um, what, what I argue is that it was undermining male headship because uh, you would have had, you know, essentially household voting at the time. And it's not that a woman had no say uh, it's that her husband was the one who would vote. And so, um, you know, he, he leads the household and, he, and he's voting with his himself, but also his wife and children in mind. Yeah, because God is concerned, of course, he's concerned with individuals, but he sort of works with households. It's, mm -hmm. it's this household, not necessarily just that guy and that girl, because in theory, they could you know, negate one another's vote. <laughs> well, it does happen. I mean, nowadays you have, you have couples where the husband and wife vote differently and in a two party system. Yeah. They're voting, voting yeah. to cancel each other's vote out, which is kind of wild. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I think what's going on and you know, I, I, I try quoting some of the feminist leaders from the 1800s to show that they were intentionally undermining male headship. They actually saw that as a problem, that that the man was the leader in the home. And so one thing to change there, if you don't like that, is, well, I want women to be able to vote, you know, give her, give her political access. Um, of course, Susan, um, uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton was a radical in many ways. And so she was, she, you know, I've got quotes in there about her arguing for, you know, women's full equality in the church, even though she was basically a pagan. Um, so you know, but she, that, that, that's what a lot of these people wanted. It wasn't just some isolated thing of, oh, well, we just want women to vote because we want them to have a say uh, that ignores the fact that they indirectly already had a say. And uh, and and the, uh, the fact that they wanted egalitarianism in everything. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a lot of critics. I mean, I don't even you know, I have one chapter on this. There's there's other things you can read out there. Um but there were arguments against uh, women voting. And it's it's pretty interesting if you go read those things because you'll, you'll hear a variety of arguments. But one thing I mentioned in there is voting brings um, duties. And so that that's one that's one problem of giving women um, the vote is it's placing new duties on them. And now they have to actually be involved in politics. And, and that actually would go for everybody. I mean, this is the problem of universal suffrage is instead of just some people having to keep up with things and vote, you're putting that on everybody. Well, not everybody's really into politics. Not everybody's educated on a lot of these issues. And I think that just contributes to the mess of politics we have today. Um, but one issue tied with there is the duty of, of um, you know, the military, serving in the military, defending your country. I mean, there is kind of an irony here is that women, uh, you know, that they don't sign up for the draft even today. I know there's a push for it, but Women don't sign up for the draft, and yet they're um, they, they can vote on people and and you know in relation to whether we go to war. So you have women being able to vote on something when they don't have to go to war. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe their brothers and mm -hmm. uh, and sons may and whatnot, but um, it's just the fact that shouldn't the people that actually go fight the wars be the ones voting on these things? And uh, you know, so that's the thing is you want to go down the line. With the egalitarianism, you want to be consistent. Well, now you're you end up with women in the military, women 
uh, signing up for the draft, which I think is abominable. I don't think women should fight in wars. Um, but you know, those are the kind of issues that come up when you, when you bring this up. So, but most people haven't given, given this much of any thought. And so if you, if you just say, uh, Hey, you know, there were some consequences, we don't even have to sit, take a position one way or the other. You just say there were consequences to giving women the, the right to vote and people freak out. I mean, they just, they, they, they don't give this any thought. They can't think about it uh in a neutral manner or historically yeah. just and, so yeah and you make it clear that the push for it like you had said earlier was was it, it was a fruit of usurping 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 the usurping, male yeah. headship, uh, male headship that was like that was um i'm sorry that was like something that that they wanted and it was it was a it was almost a first step so that we got that first step, we got the second step, like you said, the 60s and 70s. And um, and then you might even say, I don't know if you say now or maybe, you know, if it was 10 years ago, but this sort of the third wave. Can you talk about the third wave and can you talk about how like LGBT and it, it is LGBT and women pastors is actually the logical conclusion of feminism? Yeah, well, I mean, even in the first wave in the 1800s, you had some uh, push for female clergy. Like I said, Stanton was pushing it. Um, Anna Howard Shaw was a Methodist minister. You know, I mean, I think she got stripped of her ordination. But the fact is, is you had you had this stuff wrapped up and she she was a feminist leader. So you had this stuff wrapped up in first wave feminism. I mean, you know, that leads into the second wave feminism because um, in the 60s and 70s, because now. Well, it's not just political equality. Well, we want full equality, economic equality. We want women to be able to do the same things that men do. So they should be out working jobs, providing for their families. And um, the, the big issue there was it, it was pushing women outside of the home. It was an attack on the uh, homemaker, really. I mean, that's that's kind of the primary thing is degrade the homemaker, make it look bad for a woman to stay at home, be a, a you know, stay at home wife. Um uh, raise the kids, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. and um, and push them out to be like men, and and what I argue is, you know, okay, so that's that's second wave feminism. You can see the connections with the first. It just keeps going. It's more and more egalitarianism. It's more consistent. Is the women are going to be like the men, yeah. and so you get to third wave feminism, um, which you know, I, I, the specific years. I mean, it's somewhat subjective, but maybe the 1990s or whatever, you know, to today. And it's kind of wrapped up with lesbianism and LGBTQ. And it's the idea, well, if women are going to be like men, then, you know, if they're completely like them, then they're interchangeable. And and that would be even sexually. And, um, and so then, you know, well, why is marriage between a man and a woman? It can be between, you know, two men or two women. And, um, and 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 now you have each transgenderism i mean you know so i don't know is there any end to any of this uh it d- doesn't look like it go ahead and abraham kuyper had like you know said over 100 years ago um modernism wants to ab- abolish any distinction between male and female and wants man to become woman and woman to become man so it it's it's really it's pagan it's 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 pagan um it's saying no god your ways were your ways are a little bit wrong and like you said it um, the homemakers was so, kind of looked down upon like, oh, 
well, what do you do? Oh, well, I'm just, I'm just a mom. They have to add, add the word just, even now, like a Christian might say, oh, I'm just a mom. But I was a nurse before I had my kids. I did do this, but I saw this meme a few days ago. It was this girl and she was smiling and it said, I'm so glad I'm not at home being a slave to children. And it was some guy behind him saying, hey, Brenda, your 15 minute break is over. Get back to work. All right. What is so and I want the listeners to suspend your visceral hatred as far as that seemed like, well, we were talking about society. That's not what the Bible teaches. We're only talking about the church. So it, it comes full circle. Those touch we will get there. But I want to get the forest before uh, moving on to like the church and the text, get the forest before we go to the trees. What is like the silver bullet text or stringing of texts that sit for patriarchy, for male rule, for headship? Yeah, well, I mean, there there is the, um, you know, just kind of observation, uh, you could say from nature that, um, you know, men and women are, are different. And so I'll just comment there is, I mean, feminism in some ways is falling apart because because it just keeps snowballing. And then at some point, even, you know, many of the the radicals and liberals are like, okay, this is a little nuts. Um, so, so we're seeing backlash and I think that's, you know, very good. Uh, is it enough backlash? I don't know, but, um, but of course there are biblical texts that speak to these things. So, uh, I mean, in one sense, the Bible is very clearly patriarchal. It's not just one verse or two. Um, it's it's everywhere. And so that that's one thing I try to show in the book. And I think what I have a chapter is called Christianity is Patriarchal. Mm. And and so what we mean by that is that ma- is male rule. I mean, it's literally father rule, uh, uh, patriarchy. Um, and, and that's, you know, it's a good thing. It's modeled after God, right? God is not called mother in scripture, though some liberals uh, want to do uh, call him him such. Uh, he's he's revealed himself as father. Um, not that he has a male body, uh, though Christ does, the son of God took on uh, flesh um, a male, in a male body in particular. So, you know, so even here we see when we just talk about God, he's revealed himself as father uh, when he takes on flesh uh, in the second per- the second person, the Trinity, the son does, and he takes on a human, uh, uh, he takes on a male form. So that's important. Um mm-hmm. But you, you go to creation and, you know, Adam um, is, uh, I argue Adam's the head of his wife and that when, you know, there's, there's things in the text that I think um, lead to male rule being taught in creation. But um, I mean, one thing is like Romans five, where when, when hum- humanity falls, it's because of Adam's sin. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't cite Eve. So so Adam was representative. He he was head over all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even there's male. Yeah, God comes looking for Adam. Yeah. Where are you? Kind yeah. of bust Eve's chops first. It's like uh, Eve is still responsible, but Adam was the one. Yeah, he was he was the head. Right. And so, you, I mean, you even have commentary in the New Testament on these kind of things. First Timothy two, you know, when Paul forbids uh, women from teaching i do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man he says for adam was formed first so he's appealing to adam being formed first and then he says that the man was not deceived but the woman was 
And then first Corinthians 11, he says for woman, uh, man was not made for woman, but woman for man. So he's actually drawing out. That was the purpose. She was made as his helper, not vice versa. Um, can, can we just play the logic game here real quick and say, okay, well, Adam was formed first. Therefore he can't, therefore uh, she can't teach. Well, can't you say, well, my son, if he's better studied than me, he can teach me. But I know now we're sort of, we're going beyond what is written, but I think that's what people are initially going to do. They're going to mm. tooth and nail away from that. Or the woman is for the husband. Well, can't she be for him in the sense of teaching him? She's helping by teaching him. And again, the text is clear, but this is what we're going to have. We're going to have. Yeah. Every, well, every... you have, you have all sorts of, you know, arguments against these things that, uh, you know, Christian feminists try to come up with. And so I, I mean, I try to refute all of them in the book, um, <laughs> everything, everything I can find and, and think of. So good. Um, but, uh, let's see so if they want to say that um i mean no, you don't even have also, to I'm just, it's just it's just it's so unpalatable to the to the modern christian that like we're gonna conjure up so many things but what you do in the book is just show this like you said christianity is patriarchal i just almost want to just make that point i mean i think and it was from your book i realized this i didn't i hadn't realized before but there's these passages, you know, um, I think it was in the law, but basically it says like, if a, if a, if a wife makes a vow to someone. Oh yeah. And, numbers 30 numbers. chapter yeah. 30. Can you explain that, that passage? Yeah. 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 There's, I mean, that's another good one. Yeah. I get into that. Uh, what's it's funny because everybody wants to debate the meaning of a uh, man being the head of the woman in like Ephesians five. And one thing I argue in the book is like, okay, uh, I, I think it pretty clearly means that the man has some sort of preeminence or uh, rule over his wife. Uh, but let's 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 grant that it it that passage doesn't help us there. Um, you know, you can go to well, first off, you have other passages in the New Testament that don't mention anything about man being the head, and they still say wives submit to your husbands, like uh, Titus two, first Tim, uh, first Peter three. And even Colossians three, it's just a short wife submit to your husbands. Um, so, you, you know, I don't know how you get around that. There is no command for a man to submit to his wife. Uh, it's just, it doesn't exist well, what, outside. What they go to the, they go to the every, uh, submitting to one another passages, which is like Ephesians five twenty one. Of course I deal with that, but the, the point being is there's no explicit, like clear thing that would say men, men should submit to wives. It's whenever it's, Whenever it's the two groups, men and women, sing if 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 one singled out, it's always wives submit to your husbands, right? So we can. I realize we have all these one another passages, but if if you have all these one another passages, then why do you have the commands for wives to submit to husbands? If it's just mut mutuality and you know equality, it doesn't make any sense. Um, but but going, we can go back to the Old Testament. And that's where you have passage like Numbers 30. I mean, you have other laws that, you know, kind of teach something similar to this. But Numbers 30 is the clearest where um, basically uh, it gives some different situations for vows. And uh, a woman can make a vow, but if if her husband hears it and uh, basically it's, it, uh, her husband can annul the vow, he can he can say, no, you, you're not allowed to do that. And if he hears it and doesn't say anything the vow then then it's he can't 
annul it. Basically, he he permitted it. And and then you have the same thing for a father over his unmarried daughter, yeah. um, which shows that women are always under authority. Uh, the, the, the girls are under the authority of their father, and then he marries them off. I mean, we still have this language today where, you know, the, the father uh, gives his daughter's hand in marriage. He's transferring uh, headship authority over her to her husband. Mm. And, um, but brother, and- I could feel even from where I'm sitting, I could feel so many Christians um, gyrating with disdain for this, these biblical truths that they're hearing, hearing right now, just, yeah. Oh, well, well behind, the- get behind me. How can this be? So I almost just as a quick side note, and I want to get back to more of these texts. How can this be good news? How can this be good news when we're told that good news is liberation and we're basic, we're basically the same, go out and just find your way. How, how yeah. can the patriarchal reality over and against feminism reality, how can that be something that my wife goes, Oh, what a blessing, especially knowing that husbands are, you know, sold into slim and they sin and they carry around a bag of, you know, death. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, is, is the scriptures teach that Christ liberates us from sin and, and right. And we're justified uh, through faith, declared righteous uh, on account of Christ. And what's that supposed to lead to, though, right, is 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 supposed to lead to sanctification. Faith should produce good works. And so what what uh, what are those good works? Well, it's not egalitarianism. It's it's submitting to those in authority over us. And so I mean, even men, we we you know, we still submit to civil government like, you know, Romans 13. And uh, we're all supposed to submit to our elders in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, first Peter uh, five. So you have passages teaching these things. So wow. everybody's under authority. Um, w- w- women, uh, children under the authority of their parents. Um, but, but wives as, as women are always under the authority of their husbands when, when they're married. And so, and, and as it, adults, it, and I realize people don't it, like that, but go ahead. What's that? No, it just made me think of in the same way everyone pulls the when we're we're told wives submit to your husbands you know husbands love your wife wives submit to your husband but we're also told submit to one another but we would never you know if you're eight you know if your four-year-old child comes up to you you're not going to say oh yes let me submit to you we we get we know what we know what the living we, god means. <laughs> we, right we know that submit to one another is not you know, absolute submission towards everybody else. I mean, first off, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, it's getting at the idea. Well, th- there's two ways to take it. I mean, uh, one would be like submit to those, you, you know, by uh, submit to others by like submitting to their uh, needs and, and you know, show them love. I mean, that's one way to take it. I argue that basically Paul's saying submit to one another and here's who you're supposed to submit to. Wives submit to husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, slaves yeah. submit to uh, masters. Children um, yeah. obey obey the household uh, codes. Yeah, parents. Yeah, yeah, household codes. So I think that's what he's getting to. He goes on to explain it. So, so the thing is, is you know, um, well, let me say a couple of things. First, is that part of good works is doing what God says we should do, right? So. Oh. Uh, you know, you don't get to determine what a, a good work is. It's 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 based in what God says. So um, so feminism in that sense is not a good work. A wife actually is supposed to submit to her husband. At the same time, a husband is supposed to love his wife, care for her, show her, you know, um, 
to not be harsh, right? I mean, we we have those kind of commands, like um, basically be gentle with her. First um, Peter three says, um, you know, the wife is the weaker weaker vessel, and show her um, the gentleness. Um, forgetting the word there because the translations differ. Um, so yeah, so uh, and then this leads into the second point is that that male rule, male headship, is actually good for everybody. And so it is good news. Feminism is a disaster. It doesn't work. Egalitarianism doesn't work. It doesn't produce good marriages. It doesn't produce healthy society. You have to actually have hierarchical structures in life. That's what the Western world has always had. And it's only now where we want to throw those things out. And so the Bible has it right. Um, you know, this is this is what God teaches. So therefore, it is right. But second, it it actually is shown to be right. It does bring joy and happiness and yeah there's bad men men can abuse authority in the same way that women can not follow their husbands mm-hmm. um and yet the bible corrects both right it it so so when 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 both spouses when it's working properly you have the husband lovingly leading his wife and family and the wife you know respectfully submitting to her husband yeah but what about yeah, go ahead it, it, most of the time or maybe sometimes or whatever the husband is not going to be lovingly leading the wife um so of course maybe the, the husband says i think we should go to this church because it's it's better okay mm-hmm. that you can see uh, and, and if they really think that then you could say that's loving that's their attempt at lovingly they might even be wrong but you could still say they're meaning well but are are is the wife's to submit to their husband in all things as long as it's not sin as if unto the lord and with joy is that is that real that's, is that, is that that's real what it says i believe you just quoted uh ephesians 5 uh um, that's that can't that can, it has thing, to be yeah. qualified pastor it has to be qualified right well there's there's always qualifications but i mean it doesn't say unless he sins right so we have to qualify that that's not in ephesians 5 can't you immediately um, say then, well, he's just leading well. He's not leading well. Therefore, it's a sin. Therefore, I'm not going to follow. Done. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you read uh, 1 Peter 3, it doesn't it doesn't read that way, right? Um, I mean, because there Peter's dealing with, um, if, in case uh, the, the husband's an unbeliever. Here, let me pull up uh, pull up the text here. Because yeah. I think I think 1 Peter 3 is, it, it doesn't... Uh, doesn't leave much room. It, yeah, and everybody likes to go to some of the other passages, uh, the egalitarians and whatever. I, I've never really seen them adequately um, adequately treat First Peter three. Mm-hmm. Um, one second here. Um, okay. All right. So um, Peter starts off. He says, "Likewise, wives, uh, be subject to your own husbands." So this is so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct so this in this case this husband's not even a believer mm-hmm. and so surely he's making all sorts of bad decisions right yeah. i mean so uh but it says <laughs> when they see your respectful and pure conduct so the wife is supposed to be respectful and pure even when he's sinning i mean it the, the thing is is obviously the wife shouldn't sin um you know if he commands her to sin wife don't go to church you know, no, he, he, she should disobey. Um, but this is fairly limited. Um, do not let your adorning be external. So you have that stuff, uh, 
Uh, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable beauty, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. God's sight is very precious. And then it even says, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's part of precious, gentle behavior is um, submitting to their husbands. And then it says, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And um, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything is frightening. So so you have that. I mean, that is, doesn't mm-hmm. allow for these excuses nowadays. But then, you you know, we should mention, it does say verse 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. I guess that's even offensive, but it's yeah. pretty obvious women are weaker in some ways, um, at least physically. And uh, so since, since they are heirs with you, the grace of life, so your prayers may, be, may not be hindered. So, yeah, women are weaker. So men could just, uh, if they wanted to just exercise their physical authority, men could abuse women all the time. And obviously some of them do. But guess yeah. what? The Bible provides the solution to this. It's that, uh, you know, men are actually to show their wives honor. Where do you get that teaching in uh, secular the secular world, right? I mean, this is this is kind of what I argue in here. It's patriarchy or bust, right? Feminism doesn't work. Feminism does not value women. It wants women to be like men, and guess what? Then they lose. They lose hard at a lot of things. And so, um, I mean, men lose hard too in in, in feminism. It, it's, it doesn't work out well for anybody. But um, God's created order is good because it's his good created order. Even if you, even if the masses are telling you it's bad, it's, I mean, so here's a, here's a follow-up to submission and all this. Cause I think at the end of the day, the end of the day, this is where the rubber meets the road for most Christian couples who are trying to do well. Like you, a lot of times a wife, um, she we're, we're told she's weaker, but they seem to be more mature while these the men are more like boys playing freaking video games. So what do you do when you have, um, let's just, so let's just even call them a, a, the man is just sort of a crappy Christian. He's a bad leader and meet his motives are mixed at best, you know? And let's just say he, he says, okay, guys, we're going to, um, we're going to move away. We're going to bring the kids out of school of all their friends. We're going to leave um, you know, the wife's family who she, like her support system, we're going to quit a good job or, you know, just, and we're going to go and we're going to, we're going to start a homestead because I've been reading about homesteads and I want to be, I want to be a cowboy now. And maybe even you and I could go, that doesn't seem very wise, but for right. whatever reason they go um, or, or he, the husband desires to go, what is the wife to do here? Is she still required to submit and enjoy and as if to the Lord? What could possibly, because she really loves her kids and she's convinced there is no, and I think even you and I would go, yeah, that that sounds like a pretty significant dead end with the exception of just good old fashioned raw obedience on your end. How do you, uh, I really drilled into a specific there, but love. Yeah, to hear you it. gave you gave a specific uh, situation, <laughs> so we'll see how this plays out. I mean, obviously, um, you know, the wife in this case should talk to her husband, plead with him, she get him to think through things, and um, you know, ask questions and and state her case. I mean, you know, it's the idea that women can't state their opinions to their husbands. Um, you know, that's, that's not, that's not in scripture. It's, it's, it's not, Hey, do, do what the man says uh, without, you know, any discussion. Um, 
uh, and it may be, you know, if he won't, if he's really hard headed, you know, maybe she tries to involve his, uh, his other family or, you know, uh, father or whoever might talk some sense, <laughs> sense into if he sounds like he's really being crazy. Um, I mean, but yeah, unless he's, if he's going to drive them, you know, to be destitute and s- suffer and, and then it's like some obvious sin, um, uh, you know, then maybe she, she wouldn't need to follow, but, um, uh, Otherwise, yeah, I think I think she's going to need to respect her husband's leadership and decision, and and follow him. I mean, okay, I know I know people change, but it, it is worth saying. Like you know, you did marry the guy. Um, maybe you made poor decisions, but sometimes that's you know part of the consequences we have to face in life. Um, we we shouldn't just like disobey or divorce people because we don't like everything that they want to do. I mean, yeah, so, that's, like that's kind of the mind. That's kind of the mindset today. Right. Is well, I don't like, how, I don't want, I don't like my, what my husband wants to do. So I'll just leave him, you know? So totally. So what, okay. Let's even say, I think it's helpful. Just this case study. Let's say um, he wants to, he, he, he's got a remote job so he could, they're definitely the income is coming as they're building the farm up <laughs> and you know, they, they've had land given to them. So it's going to be no fiscal, blow to them um and they're they're already you know there's a great church over there that even you and i would say yeah that's a great church though and the wife just says no it's um yeah i know fiscally we're going to do well but um the the kids are so happy here you know we can't pull them out of school they're they're seniors in high school or something like that you know and she just refuses what does the man do at this point does they does he um does he do what I think I heard of this. I don't know if this is real, but they used to talk about godly spanking. Are they supposed? Are these guys supposed to spank their wives? Or <laughs> obviously not. What? What's? Do they? They pull rank and say, "But don't you know you're supposed to submit?" Like what? What can possibly done be done for these husbands who are listening who want to really like some? Maybe they feel called to missions. Like what? What can they possibly do? with their Christian wives who know this reality, but they're just not budging. Yeah. The, I mean, it certainly is a hard situation and, and happens. I mean, there's, I, let me just preface this, preface this by saying, you know, a lot of people like to say, Oh, like, look at all the faults of men today. And, you know, many of them are, like you said, playing video games, living in their mom's basement. I mean, surely there's some of that, but there's also women's sins. And so we do need to address like, this is just as common as women, not uh obeying their husbands right and they want to be independent christian christian women you know being rebellious in a sense against their their husbands um so it's a hard it's a hard situation i think you know the husband can't physically coerce his wife um to to do things and so he needs to do the best he can to love her be a godly man pray for her I mean, I just think that's huge. Pray for her to, uh, uh, you know, God to change her heart and uh, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if she she won't, I mean, it'd be pretty hard in this case to like move when she refuses to move. I mean, yeah. maybe there's a way where you can do it where she has to come along. But if she's going to be miserable and just angry all the time, um, you know, that's and despise you for moving, then you, you, you do have to take that into consideration. So. Right. Um, yeah, uh, I think, you know, so yeah, husband has authority, but he also is, it's limited by, uh, some just realities, I guess. So, so can, 
can a can a Christian woman who reads Greek and Hebrew and she's got Calvin's Institutes memorized, can she can she preach that? Okay, and if she can't preach it, can she preach it as long as the head pastor's sitting up there next to her? And if not that, can she at least teach it in the Sunday school? Yeah, no, no, and no. All right, okay. next question. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, women are not permitted to preach. And uh, I, I don't even, I wouldn't even use the word for, you know, women preaching to women. Um, I, I think preaching is particularly for, uh, you know, ministers. So that's even then, you know, um, it's, I think it's, it's for, yeah, it's, it's, it's a calling from God. So, uh, but you know, I, can women teach, uh, women in any capacity? I would say, yes. I mean, you have that kind of language in Titus two. um, let the older women train the younger women and teach them what is good. I mean, the emphasis there is kind of on being good mothers and wives. So that's probably should be their focus. There's no prohibition on, you know, say a woman taking other women in a Bible study or something through some scripture and, and theology. Though I think we should just be careful there and say like the, you know, doctrine is supposed to be primarily taught and guarded by the session of a church. It's, it's, um, it, it's elders. So why, why specifically can a woman not teach men or preach men? Is it because they are, are because Eve sinned first? It's, is it because they're the weaker vessel? And so yeah. as a result, they might teach us heresy. I think I would say first is you just have the teaching of scripture, which is first Timothy two, right? I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over man. So I don't mm -hmm. think that's limited to Sunday morning public worship service. I think it's getting at all sorts of formal doctrinal teaching. So that would also rule out like a Sunday school class um, of, of women teaching to to mixed assemblies, uh, men and women. Um, if we want to get into why, I mean, there is the why. I mean, I try to get into that book. I, th I think in one sense, there's the simple answer. Well, the, the Bible says no. Um, I think, I don't think God just, stated this rule just for no reason i think it is it's rooted in the differences between men and women um part of it is he's just called men to lead and not women and yeah. so that when it comes to teaching teaching does involve leadership and um and therefore should be done by men it's limited to men we limit the office of elder to men women can't be elders um, but, um, you know, so th this is all tied with his design of men and women. So I, I do think there's, I mean, okay. Paul says for Adam was formed first. Um, I mean, that doesn't really tell you why. I mean, uh, he does say though, for the man was not deceived. The woman was deceived. So I think there is some sense in which women are more prone to deception. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, people don't like to hear that, but I mean, that's pretty, that was pretty common. And, you know, prior to the modern theological age, what about, what um, about the, the first response? Well, okay. If they're prone to deception, um, well then why are we going to give them to the poor kids? Then they might deceive our yeah. kids, women. That's, is that, I'm sure that's right. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of where people will, you hear that argument is, uh, 
Well, it, it, again, we're not saying that women are always deceived or incapable of teaching in any sense. No one says that. Um, it's mm. that women shouldn't teach men. That's the mm. difference. And if we're going to have people teaching in the church, it should be men, not women. And not all men, right? I mean, we always need to say this, like, let's clarify. It's not, not all men are suited to teach. I mean, it's very, like, First Timothy 3, the requirements are pretty high. Titus 1, um, it's a man who manages his household well. Um, yeah. you know, and, and et cetera. So, um, what about, okay. A, a, a woman should remain silent in church. So should she not offer up a prayer during church? Like the pre, the pre prayer or whatever. I, I correct. I think, uh, women should not. What the Bible leave. says. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, so I know that like churches today, they commonly have women lead prayer in church or, or read scripture as part or of the service. The song. Yeah. Yeah. yeah or, or, or lead, lead, lead music up front, like solos or whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't even think men should do that. The, the solos or whatnot. Um, so, uh, you know, even in my own denomination, the, the PCA Presbyterian church in America, there's a variety of practice here. I take the conservative view, which I, which I would say is historically the traditional view. It's the majority view. Uh, which is that um, only men should should do those things in the service. And and actually, again, not just any man. I don't think just any man who's a member of the church should get up and read scripture or lead prayers. I think that's limited to elders um, or those who are uh, licensed or like licensed by the Presbytery, if the Presbyterian church, uh, they're licensed to preach or they're training for the ministry, you know, men who are training for the ministry, they're interns, things like that. So we, we could maybe make some other exceptions, but they're, they're, the idea is they're, we're training them to be elders. Um, so, so yeah, so it's limited who, who should do these things. And so I, I, that's what I think first Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, where it says, um, you know, let the women be silent. Uh, what about parachute? What if, what if your wife, did a great um what what about sending out an inspirational tweet just <laughs> the lord just making a us a, a fact about the, about you know about the realities of god maybe she either does a, a quote from a bible verse or she is enlightening us uh, whoever might follow her and it might be a, a man should she not tweet or, at, or, you know, or just that's, that's actually, that's pretty intense. I have just formed. Yeah. That but I let's haven't, even, uh, I haven't let's, let's actually step, let's step back thought about that too much. Let's, let's even say a book, like, okay. Just writing a good, a good, um, just a good Christian book. Just a Beth yeah. Moore's greatest book. Should Beth Moore put the pen down? So, um, Warren, like, Warren is a great, you know, man, when I read her, uh, I read her book about ordinary. I was like, Ooh, this is a good book, but should she not have written that? And should I not have read that book? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's hard. Uh, I, 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 with like the Twitter thing, I, you know, when it's like one-on-one, -on -one, I, I don't think it's like a problem. Um, you know, you have like Aquila and Priscilla, uh, like, like if my wife corrects me on something, I don't think she should do it all the time, but if, if I'm in like error and, um, I mean, hopefully that's not like a common thing, but you know, we, we might make a mistake on something and your wife corrects you, maybe even theologically or suggests something. 
I, you know, that's, uh, that's not, you know, wrong, obviously. Um, but, uh, if, for, so the problem with like writing a book is you're writing broadly, right? You're, 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 you're not just writing to like, you know, a letter to your friend or something. Mm-hmm. So, but a lot of those books are aimed at women, right? You have women authors writing women's books. I don't have a problem with those per se. Um, especially, I think they're probably best done when it's like women doing kind of what Titus two says, which is like older women training the younger women. So if it's like women are writing books to like help mothers and wives be better mothers and wives, I don't see any, like, that's good, right? It seems like a really good thing, but you do have the problem though, where women are wanting to write books that are kind of like, not that narrow. They're, they're wanting to write books that are, um, theological and and maybe books that even men would read um so if they're not geared for women as much and then you're kind of wondering okay you know are they are they trying to be like pastors that's kind of always the question i ask is is that woman you know sometimes you have women on staff at churches that are doing this it's like well they only teach women i'm like but are they trying to be like pseudo pastors right like they they want to do all the things a pastor does but but without the title um and it's towards just, women so it's it's acceptable and i'm just it, it's just there's something trying to you know kind of undermining god's design but what about there. the acad i'm specifically thinking like maybe just to broaden so a woman who's not writing a book for women she's just like this is the academic world and it's a christian book and mixed in this are implications that will help worship so for me academic books are very not pastoral, but like I, I often glean from them as I, as I grow in wisdom. So should a woman write, you know, a, a theological or, and, or, you know, combo spiritual sort of book. And would, would it be wrong for a man to read that book? Just like, would it be wrong for a man yeah. to sit in church? Under, yeah. This, in- this one's maybe uh, a little harder. Um, you know, sometimes juicy ones for the end yeah yeah uh because i also i don't think women should lead like mixed bible studies mm-hmm. um where there's men there um I, I i i think women should not write those kind of books um i think um yeah but but on my end i will say i obviously have well, I shouldn't say obviously, but I, I do, I read if there's, if women are in academics, theologically, historic, historical works and the like, I've, I use those kind of books. I mean, uh, sometimes they do insightful research or, or things like that. But um, does not their research at that point take on an authoritative tone? Be like, oh, such and such is an authority on second temple Judaism. Yeah. I mean, there may be the question of whether the woman should have gone into those things in the first place. Um, Mm. But the information is out there. It's been written. And so I don't really have a problem using it. Mm. Um, But also like, you know, I might be reading it and if I'm reading from a book, um, I mean, do I necessarily even know it's a a woman, you know, I mean, let's say the name was foreign. I might not even know. Um, So it's, it's, I would maybe say that they're not, it's hard to say like a, a woman writing a theological theological book is, is it's not the same as if she's um, teaching, 
like mm. like verbally, right? I mean, there, there there's maybe some similarities and and the same principles apply, but there is something different, I think, about a woman speaking that's like clearly a no, like she shouldn't be teaching you theology in lectures or something, right? Um, so, so, we, so lectures, we're saying like seminary. Yeah, no, I don't think women should teach seminary in seminary, uh, when, you know, theological courses and the like. I mean, some some of them will let women do like some counseling courses, but you know, that gets in the whole counseling issue. Um, no, I think seminary professors should all be men. They should be men who have pastoral training even. So they should all be qualified for the pastorate and mm. uh, they're experienced and and not just academics. I think that's a problem with like, you know, sometimes yeah. seminaries. Well, we, this guy's just, he's an expert in this part of the Old Testament or whatever. I mean, that's great. We want that kind of thing, but not devoid of um, yeah. pastoral experience. And because that's what seminaries are pastoral training grounds. And so, I mean, yeah, this applies to, there's a lot of seminaries today that are supposed to be otherwise conservative or were conservative. And they're allowing, they're hiring women uh, to teach theology and, and, and the like. And I just think that's unacceptable. So so I would, I, yeah, I want to make that distinction with the book. I, I don't think the, the writing question is as clear. I don't have as, as I'm just going to say, I don't have as uh, clear of an answer as, yeah, yeah. as to the other stuff. And that's fine. And that doesn't negate all the very, very clear things that yes. we've reviewed. Yeah. At some point we do come to like some gray areas and that, yeah. but that doesn't mean there aren't black and white areas. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I think a lot of people want to push and say, well, everything's a gray area. And it's like, no, it's not like some of these things you can clearly like very clearly to, you know, apply the principles and say women shouldn't do that, you know? So, so I, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm like rapid firing questions for you. Cause I had so many and our time's already almost up. I, I want to try to squeeze in two last ones. Even if you, you could give me just, 30 seconds if you want, or you could give me 30 minutes on each one. That's fine. So, um, and I'm going to put them all together, but Zach, Phoebe, Deaconesses, so-called Deborah, and the Bible also say slaves obey your masters. Go ready, go. <laughs> all right. So, uh, uh, Phoebe, um, uh, is called uh, what D that's X 16 or uh, Romans 16, right? The the uh, diaconon, um, or no, ap uh, apostle, which one I'm I'm confusing them now. I've, I've, I've written on this, um, I've written on this, so I should know better. I wrote it down um, from your book, I'm trying to remember what it is, okay? But yeah, the, yeah, put, the, put me on the spot leader, here. This is a leader in the church, and then we have the we've got women leaders we're supposedly see and women prophetesses we we see we do right. see women prophets in the new testament and we see um deaconesses if, if that's a word or whatever we yeah we yeah it is well right and so these are opening up all sorts of topics sorry it's Ju junia is uh called uh an ap ap uh, apostle mm. um although i i argue and that's um um was that Romans 16? I think I, I argue that uh, uh, she's not an apostle. Um, and, and I don't think that's even, I, I don't think the arguments are that strong. There's, there's a bunch of other possibilities of explaining mm -hmm. the, the passage. So you've got, so I'm even bringing up another thing for you. So you got Junia. Um, <laughs> I address that in the book. Uh, I've even got an article online on that. Um, 
Which, then, by uh, the way, the book was published four years ago, listener. <laughs> yeah, it's been out. It's been a lot, out a while. So if you don't have it, you know, what are you doing? Um, so then there's uh, Phoebe is, uh, uh, I believe, Romans 16. And she's uh, she's called a, a diaconon, so d- deacon. Uh, but that word is used for uh, other people like Epaphras and uh, others. And, and it, it's not understood usually in like commentaries or uh or translations as the office of deacon and so but yeah so so this this ties into um uh deaconesses in first timothy three and that's a whole topic in and of itself i get into this stuff in the book so if somebody's interested in this they can go read on it they're going to get a better answer than i would give them right here uh off the top of my head um but essentially, um, I I don't think women can hold the office of deacon. I think that there are women that were serving with the deacons in some capacity, and so I think that's what First Timothy three eleven is getting at, because it mentions the women. Uh, it's not clear are they wives of the deacons or are they women assistants of the deacons. I don't think it's super clear either way. Um, and yeah. so I think it's fine to have women assistants to the deacons, but I don't think we should uh, ordain them and they shouldn't hold office. Um, and I don't think we should call them deaconesses because that just gets confusing. So that's that's my take on that. Now, that's a whole another issue in my denomination. Um, so let's see. That was you said Deborah. Phoebe, Deborah. Deborah was uh, a prophetess and judge, but she was not. This is the book of Judges, chapter four, but she was not. Um, she was not like the other judges. She did not. She was not a military leader, and in fact, that's Barak, who she tells to go fight. And so I argue she's she's different. She's not um, like the other judges who are military military leaders. Um, prophetesses. There's pro- other prophetesses, but they don't prophesy publicly to like whole congregations or anything so i think there is a distinction there Mm -hmm. um even then she doesn't she doesn't set the example of you know civil leadership i mean even if we were to grant you know she's she's like a civil leader of some sort it doesn't make it normative i mean that's kind of what calvin says and and, you know so i get into that in the book is um Mm -hmm. you know it's not a normative thing so in other words but basically you know john knox thought that all women um, civil leaders were um, illegitimate. Okay, I, I don't actually hold that position. I think uh, I, I would take Calvin's position in that women civil leaders are legitimate, but they shouldn't be normative. They shouldn't be common, and so we shouldn't be having women governors and presidents and the like. And uh, because these you know women don't lead in their households. They're not. God didn't design them to lead. So why are we having them lead in the civil realm? So and we didn't even go there on the interview. Yeah, we didn't. I'm just bringing up. That's all. I wonder that the second half, but whatever. That's a whole chapter in of itself, uh, and a whole topic in of itself, and and very offensive to many. Um, (laughs) So so, but I go there because I want to be consistent. I think the Bible goes there in some sense. And that's where that's why you choose the word. I mean, that's why with patriarchy rather than complementarian because the complementarian doesn't necessarily Grudem ne- doesn't necessarily take this out. I, although Piper yeah. does it. 
a tiny Piper bit. does. Piper, oh, Piper, Piper uh, you can find videos. I, it's been years since I've seen him, but he opposes women presidents. He being president, he thinks that that's reserved for men. So he he would I think he would agree with me here. Yeah. Uh, sometimes yeah. he nuances things differently, but um, no, the revolution was wrong. Or no, was that MacArthur? That was Johnny. The, ref the Reformation was wrong. Oh, the American Revolution. Re oh, 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 yeah, that was maybe MacArthur. That um, gets into okay. That's a whole other topic. But uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, complementarianism is broad, and so uh, th there's very narrow comp people who use that term for themselves. Complementarians they hold very narrow views, are almost egalitarians. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just don't find the term very helpful. I get into some of the other things I would distinguish there, but I, I think patriarchy is most helpful. And if you say you hold to biblical patriarchy, you know, some of these other views, I think kind of fall in place though, though, obviously there's also, there's also, there are variations of patriarchy, like, you know, so you got to be careful. And obviously the biggest problem with the term is some people hear it and they uh, freak out. So smash it. they want to smash that. They want to smash the patriarchy. Well, I want to. Um, I, yeah, I want to smash feminism. So, you know, <laughs> I wish we had a hundred more. Okay. So on you asked about sla slaves, you asked about slaves and masters. Did you? Want oh, that's, to yeah. Them? Yeah. Well, doesn't the Bible also, I think actually someone legit said that to me. Well, the Bible yeah. also slaves obey, obey your masters. Yeah. Well, I don't get in this too much in the book. Um, but I mean, the fact is, is the scriptures, you know, have, have slavery in there. And so we have to account for it. And I don't think the proper solution is to take what was used to be the abolitionist view, which is that, you know, basically slavery is never permitted. I, I don't know how you can get that out of the Bible. The Bible regulates it. And um, I, I would say we can't say slavery is per se wrong be like it because you have it in the Bible. Now, we can get into some of the details of Old Testament, New Testament, um, but also, let's not act like Roman slavery was some great thing. It, it wasn't. And so, you know, but you still had Christian slaves and Christian masters. I mean, Paul is telling masters to treat their slaves well. You know, it comes up several times in the epistles. So um, we don't need to bring back slavery, but we should recognize that slavery is not per se wrong. And because that's where people want to go as well slavery is wrong and and the bible you know uh, allowed slavery and so therefore it's also wrong you know male headship is also wrong well i i do think we have to be consistent here mm -hmm. and um and and there is something to this this i there i will say i won't get into this too much but there is something between a link between abolitionism and saying like the bible you know all slavery is wrong always all circumstances um all forms there is a line from that to feminism absolutely there is because that's not what scripture says okay so so anyway so that's that's basically what i have to to say about no, that we see that all the all the people who are for patriarchy are also um called racist almost <laughs> and there yeah. is because there's a correlation because i mean it's not what you're not saying it's not what we're not saying it's like well what does the bible teach and i just opened up your sweet spot there like i said you had penned this book like at least four years ago but as we close out what is what are you what are you currently working on um we'll end with that but one more time we got zachary garris he's the author of masculine christianity it's on amazon um and then his website is knowingscripture.com yeah brother as you, as you close out what what kind of stuff you got up your sleeve what are you what are you studying 
Yeah, I, I've been, um, I guess for a couple of years now, uh, heavily studying um, American Presbyterianism, uh, particularly, I would say, the, the Southern Presbyterians. So I've got a project I'm working on um, with a friend on that. So hopefully we'll be out in 2025. That's the the hope. It's a big project though. And, you know, part of the challenge is, I mean, I'm a Presbyterian. I love church history. Um, there's a lot of church history books out there, but there's not a go-to book on Southern Presbyterianism, particularly one that's been written in the last 50 years most so of what is older. it just the so, over a church uh the church the history of the southern presbyterian church it, it's it's history but we're doing uh particularly biographical so uh that's kind of the angle where the chapters are geared around um yeah particular people and so that we're trying to um you know give give history of i'm sorry someone's knocking on my door get out of here it's, it's probably children. I'm at the church. Um, so uh, get out of here, children. Okay. Um, so uh, yeah, it's uh, it's biographical. So it gets into, I mean, I, I like looking at individuals and not just events. I mean, it's both. We can't, you can't separate the two, but the way the book is, it's instead of being thematic, um, with with events it's um it's the chapters are geared around uh individuals so i mean people will know some of the major uh southern theologians like uh james thornwell and robert dabney and uh, uh but there are there are others thomas peck um but you can get in even some of the earlier guys like uh, uh samuel davies and you know he was a preacher to the the south and so we're going to cover a lot of stuff, and I think it's probably going to be a be a pretty big book. With it's it's heavily footnoted, but you know that's the fun stuff, right? You read it, you read it, and it's just interesting stuff on every page. That's what I want it to be. So I think that's that was my hope of what masculine Christianity was. So which is why it's not a good audio book, you know. I mean, maybe it's yeah. a good audio book, but but you got to get it in print, right? So yeah, absolutely, brother. It's been good. We'll we'll circle back with you in a year or so when that's when that book's launched. So thank you, Zachary Garris, author of Masculine Christianity at Zachary Garris. Zachary Garris is where he's at. Thank you, brother. All right. Thank you, sir. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad, we came to cheer the sad, we came to leave.